The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Listen, I've never done this before uh, in the the short history of our church. Typically what we do here at Stone Oak is we walk through books of the Bible together. And uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we love getting to do this. Um, And right now we're in Genesis. And uh, we're actually at the, uh, standing at the start of Genesis 20. There's so much here. I love that we're working through this book together. Um, This morning though, as your pastor, I, I need to call an audible. Um, as I've been praying and just praying for our time together this morning, um, I believe that the Lord has led me to a scripture, the one you just heard. And uh, although I have prepare, prepared to preach Genesis 20, that one will have to wait. Um, at some point, maybe, we'll, we'll be able to, no, I, we will jump back in. Um, but for this morning, I'd like to take us in a little bit of a different direction. And so if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me, not to the Old Testament, but would you scoot on ahead into the New Testament to the book of Colossians, uh, specifically Colossians chapter 1. Um, I'd like to look together at just a few verses And I want us to explore something together. Um, I I want us to look at and I want us to answer two questions this morning. One is who is the head of the church? And then two, why is understanding that so vitally important? And let me set the stage just a little bit for us this morning. Um, Give some quick, quick context. So Paul wrote this, this letter countering some false teachers who were trying to lead the church astray. And what they were doing is they weren't trying to get them to ignore Jesus or to reject Jesus altogether. But what these false teachers were trying to do was to get this church to make Christ one of the many options. So it was to, not to reject him, but just to make him one of the the items on the, on the spiritual buffet. And so Paul's letter here was really in response to this. Paul is going to exalt Jesus in this text, elevating Christ to his rightful place. And so I want us to walk through some of this slowly. I'm, I'm, we're really going to camp in verses 17 and 18, but we'll kind of do some touchdowns till we get there. So let me start in verse 15. It says, he is the image of the invisible God. Image here means two things. One, it means the representation, and two, the manif- manifestation. Let me unpack that a little bit. Representation is the idea of like if you were to take a penny out of your pocket, Abraham Lincoln, that is a representation. It is a symbol. It is not Abraham Lincoln in your pocket. It is a representation of Abraham Lincoln in your pocket. And that is what it means by image or representation. So in that way, Paul says Jesus was the representation of God on earth. He represented God on earth, reflected him. That is certainly true. In fact, if you 
Think back in Genesis when God created man and women. He said, I create you in my own image. In the image of God, image bearers. And, and in, in the same way, in that way, Jesus is certainly an image bearer of God, right? But that's not all. If we were to leave it there, we would, we would miss it here. Because this word also carries with it this idea of manifestation. And, and it's at this point that Jesus becomes very different from you and I. At this point is where in Christ, the invisible God became visible. Jesus did not just represent or reflect God. No, Jesus shared the same substance as God. In other words, in Christ, God came down, put on flesh, dwelt among us. This is Christ. We see him, we touch him, we hear him. It wasn't just that in him we saw the image of our God. No, in Christ we saw God himself in the flesh. Jesus didn't just represent our God. He is our God. God with us, Emmanuel, like the, writers of, the writer of Hebrews uh, says in chapter 1-3. He says he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by his power. This is our Christ. This is our God. So Paul says, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. He continues and he says, he's the firstborn of all creation. This shows his rightful place of highest value, preeminence in the family of God. Um, The heir, the firstborn. So in this culture, the firstborn would have received the blessings of the father, the primary heir, the birthright, would receive the blessings of the father. All of them. And in this way, in this text, Paul says, this is Jesus, highest rank. All that is the father's is the son. He is the image of God. He is God. He is over creation, firstborn, heir. This is Jesus. And he continues to build. Verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers, or authority, or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So Paul says Jesus holds the highest rank in creation. Why? Because Paul says, because he is the creator of all things. There is nothing in all of creation that Jesus did not create. And you know what that means. Since there is nothing in all of creation that he did not create, there is now nothing in all of creation that is outside of his perfect control. He is absolutely sovereign and supreme over all creation. I just want you to think about this for a moment. Just think about this. Your Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to the earth, the one who dwelt among us, is the creator of all things, above all things, sovereign over all, and nothing, nothing is outside of his domain. I've, uh, I've quoted this before. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. Abraham Kuyper, who's a 19th century Dutch pastor, says, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence, over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. That is beautiful. This is our God. This is Jesus. Paul reminds us 
Jesus is God, firstborn of all creation, creator, ruler of all things. This is our Savior, Lord, and King. Now, with that stage set, we get to our text this morning. Verse 17. And he, that is Jesus, is before all things. This is like John says, in the beginning was the word. Jesus preexisted all things. That means before you existed, Christ was. Before your problems existed, Christ was. He is before all things. There's something comforting in that, is there not, church? Jesus is before all things. Nothing catches him off guard. He is the creator and he's before all things. But listen, as we continue to look at this text, we are living in a time when problems, crisis seem to flood our lives seem to absolutely flood our lives. Uh, from our conversations to our news feeds, we are in a time of high crisis as a culture. And problems seem to be dire. In other words, if you're a pessimist, don't admit to it, but if you are one, you have a lot of content to work with right now. And we know this, we feel this. As a Christian, we see all these things, we hear all these things, we have the same news feeds. And we know that Jesus is coming again. We know that one day he's going to set all this right. We stand on that. But don't miss this because not only is he going to come again, not only is he going to come and make all things right, not only is he before all things and he's always been, but let's look at verse 17. He is before all things. And church, just take this in. And in him, all things hold together. He's before all things. And our Savior, our Jesus now, holds all things together. In other words, the creator of the universe has not forgotten about the universe he created. The creator of the universe is now the sustainer of the universe. And as we wrap our minds around that, do you know what that means? It means that his great and unparalleled power guarantees that the universe we live in is now under control and not chaotic. For anyone who is feeling overwhelmed by the chaos of life, by the craziness of life, the creator of the universe is the sustainer of the universe. This is Christ. This is Jesus. There's a way of thinking about God that has been called deism. Has anyone ever heard of deism? Um, the idea of deism is, is pretty simple. It's the idea that God created the world, and after he created it, set things into motion, he then gets to back away and let the world function the way he created it to function. The example that we, that we use for this is like a divine clockmaker who builds the clock, gets it all together, winds it up, winds it up, whatever, I haven't built a clock, but I assume you wind it up, and then you step back and that clock then works. And, and this is the idea, you, he winds it up, leaving us to tick-tock, tick-tock, and then he steps back. That's deism. Church, that's not what Scripture says about our God. That's not what Scripture says about our God. See, Scripture says that Jesus, the creator of all things, is now sustaining all things, holding all things together, actively holding all things together. In a world that feels chaotic, we stop and realize Jesus is Lord, King, and sustainer, and our world, our life, your life, is not in chaos. 
because he holds, in him all things hold together. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, I want to be honest here, and this is what the Lord has been working in me. It is easier, at least it's easier for me, to know and to memorize this scripture than it is to truly believe this scripture. It is easier to trust Christ with the eternity of my soul sometimes than it is to trust Christ with the problem that I'm currently facing. The struggle that has its grip on me. He is before all things and in him all things hold together but too often I wear too much weight. I don't know if you can relate to me here. But as I read this text, here's what I can do in my flesh. Are you ready? I can read, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and then understand that to mean he is before all things, and now I'm going to do my best to hold all things together. Can you relate to that? Too often I feel the chaos around me, and I try to gain back that control. And if you're a control freak in here, You're cringing. You know what I mean. But we get uncomfortable when we're not able to control the things in our life and we're not able to bring the order back to the chaos that we feel. And because of this, too often we can feel a bit lost. When the situations of our life hit us and they're well beyond our control, it can cause us in that moment to cry out to God. There's no other option But oh, that we wouldn't wait for those moments to trust that Christ is sovereign and holding all things together. Oh, that we wouldn't wait. The reality is for all of us is that it's it's so difficult to wrap my mind around this. I'm preaching to myself as, as well as you this morning. There are so few things in life that you control. There are so few things in your life that are given for you to control. And the majority of your life is spent managing, responding to things over which you have little to no control. For example, you don't control other people. Some of you try, but you don't. Um, You don't control the economy. You... You can't control your kids. Some of you parents are like, amen. No, that's not what I mean. We can't control all the things that they deal with and they go through. Now, although you can help or hurt it, you can't really even control fully your health. Certainly can't control nature. You can't control your spouse. You certainly cannot control what others think or say about you. You certainly cannot control politics. Oh, that we try, though. The majority of our life is spent dealing with and managing things, responding to things that are outside of our control. In other words, part of being a human being is is understanding you don't control things. But part of being a Christian is understanding Jesus does. Jesus does. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You don't hold all things together. 
You're not called to hold all things together. You are called to trust Christ, to trust the one who holds all things together. Jesus holds all things together. And I don't want you to hear me wrong here. I'm, I'm not saying that Jesus is like your personal genie. What I mean by this is like an example, um, we don't control the economy. We know that. But Jesus does. We know that. So let me get on Jesus' team. Let me pray to Jesus. Boom. I control the economy. Right? That loophole. No. That is nonsense. That's called prosperity gospel. That's not the way scripture sets this before us. What I am saying is you are not in command. You are not in control. You do not and cannot hold all things together. What I am saying is that Jesus Christ does. Jesus Christ is in command. Jesus Christ is in control. Jesus Christ holds all things together. He is sovereign over everything. All things. We know that nothing's out of his control, nothing's out of his domain, and therefore we get to rest in him. Because we know, as Paul says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There's an old prayer um, by Reinhold uh, Niebuhr. Niebuhr. I don't speak the language. Um, I could spell it for you. But it was written in the 1930s. And uh, this prayer has been prayed by millions over the past hundreds of years. It's referred to often as the, the serenity prayer. And um, this prayer has been a prayer that I've prayed often. It's been really powerful for me. I, I just want to read it because I think it's powerful for us in, in this context in, in Colossians. The prayer says this, God, give me grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed. The courage to change the things which should be changed. And the wisdom to distinguish one from the other. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right as I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. A powerful prayer. I got to ask, so how can we possibly live like this and approach our lives like this? Church, the only way that we're able to live like this and approach our lives like this is to trust and to know that Jesus holds all things together. In other words, the pathway to serenity and peace in your life is knowing that Jesus is king and Lord, and is sovereign over all and holds all things together perfectly. And for anyone here who's facing a difficulty, facing a struggle that is beyond you, and for anyone here who's looking at your life and you see so many things that just seem to be beyond your control, maybe you're facing health issues, relationship issues, marital issues, struggles, trials, whatever they may be, things seem to be out of your control. Jesus is king. It may feel like chaos, 
But just because it's outside of your control does not mean it's outside of his. He is sovereign. He is king over all things, over all times, and over all trials. We can know and we can trust that our king is good. Now, Paul's going to push this even deeper and even further. He says he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And in verse 18, right out of this says, and he is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Would you take that in and would you just consider what that means? Jesus, the perfect representation of God on earth, God in the flesh. Jesus, the creator and ruler of all things, the Lord, the king. Jesus, who is before all things, and Jesus, who holds all things together, creator and sustainer, that Jesus is the head of the church. What does that mean about the church? It means that just as Christ is sovereign over all creation, Christ is sovereign over his church. Just as he holds all things together, sustains all things He holds the church. He sustains the church. Jesus says in Matthew 16, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus sustains his church, leads his church, holds all things together. Through the ages, governments, powers have attempted to extinguish this thing called the church. The church has often been persecuted. The church has faced so many trials from both outside and inside. But through it all, the church will stand. The church will endure. Because Jesus is building it. Because Jesus is sustaining it. Even through, as Jesus says, the attacks of hell itself. Now to be clear, we are a collection of broken people. We are a collection of sinners. This is and has always been true. And to make matters worse, we are led by broken people. We are led by sinners. And that is and has always been true. But through it all, the church will stand and the church will endure. Because Jesus is building. Jesus is sustaining. Even through the attacks of hell itself. Just take this in and just put all this together. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. And as we read this together, there should be a confidence that begins to grow in our bones. There should be a confidence as we look around the people in this room. We are a collection of unlikely people, and if it were left up to us, we would surely mess it all up. But it is not left up to us. Because we are this unlikely group of people who have been saved by grace through faith, who are loved, called, redeemed, and the best part, we are his people under his perfect and sovereign leadership. He is the head of the church. Christ who said, I will build my church. Christ who said, I will build it, and when I build it, hell itself can't attack it. Jesus is before all things. Jesus holds all things together. Jesus is the head of the church. And because of that, we are able to have a confidence together that is unshakable. Jesus is the head of the church. Church, um, 
to trust in Christ as king over creation, to trust in Christ as Lord and Savior, to trust that he has got the world in his hands, to trust in Christ's sovereignty over creation, is to trust in Christ's sovereignty over his church. I want, to, I want us to think a little deeper about this, about Christ being the head. One of the most common metaphors in Scripture when we look and we think about the church is the metaphor of the body, the body of Christ. And we are told that we are the body, we're all working together, needing each other, diverse and unified. You don't need to turn with me here, but one of the most powerful examples of this is Paul in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, he, he, he says, you know, just as the body is one and has many members, all of the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. He says that we're all one spirit, all baptized into one body, Jew, Greek, slave, free, that we're all made to drink of one spirit. Not, the body consists of not one member, but many. And then he goes on to say, hey, and the foot can't look at a hand and say, hey, you don't look like a foot, so you don't belong. He says, that's nonsense. He says, the eye can't look over at the ear and say, you don't see as well as I do and say, you don't belong. He's, Paul says, that's nonsense. We belong together, diverse and unified. And then I love how Paul says it in verse 18. He says, but as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. Christ, the sovereign head of the church, is building the church, arranging the members as he chooses. Verse 24, but God so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Notice it is God who arranges. It is God who puts together in his sovereignty. And here's my point. Acknowledging Christ as the king of creation is to acknowledge Christ as the sovereign head of the church. And more than that, acknowledging Christ as the head of the church is acknowledging the fact that Christ has placed you here and arranged you here for a reason. You are not here by mistake. You are not a mistaken member of the body. You have been divinely arranged by Christ. Paul says you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You are the members of the body and he is the head. And acknowledging Christ as the head is submitting to the fact that nothing we face is too much to our God, submitting to the fact that Christ is sovereign over his church and building his church. And by the way, we know that when, when Christ said that he's building his church, he didn't mean through bricks and mortar. He meant with you and me. And that Christ has divinely and sovereignly placed us together in his body. Christ is the head of the church, and wrapping our minds around that is so important. Here's why this matters. Um, earlier I talked about deism. The belief that God is the divine clockmaker, created the world, wound up the clock, then stepped away to watch it function without him. Um, listen, we have a temptation, even for people who reject deism. For people who believe that God is alive and active in his creation. 
For us who believe Christ is holding all things together. We still have this temptation, somehow, some way, to view the church like a deist would. To think Christ founded the church, he set us together, he gave us the great mission, but then like a deist God, he ascended, he stepped away, and he's watching it function without him. Now, we wouldn't say this, but sometimes we we fall into the temptation of believing this. And Paul says in our text, no, he is before all things, in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. Christ is still sovereign. He still sustains. He is sovereign over all creation and over the church, over your life. Listen, the goal, the aim of this morning is is simple. I want you to see Christ in his word. I want to encourage you on a very personal level. I want to see, I want you to see our sovereign Christ. And I want it to strengthen you this morning because he is our sovereign king. But not only that, my hope and my prayer is that in Christ, because of Christ, that you would, that you are encouraged together that we are encouraged together, that our confidence together grows, that in Christ our confidence in each other, our confidence in the church will grow. And that we would walk together in what I will call this morning, I hate this term, I'm just going to go with it though, um, a holy, humble swagger. A holy, don't hear me wrong, I'm not talking about a swagger or a confidence that comes from us. Or because of us, what I'm talking about here is the holy, humble swagger, the holy, humble confidence that comes from the fact that we know Christ is the head. And because Christ is the head, who or what do we have to fear? Because Christ is the head, the gates of hell will not prevail. Because Christ is the head, we know that he is building and assembling us together in his perfect and holy will placing us together for a divine purpose. Because Christ is the head, we can trust him. We can trust him. Church, would you stand with me? We're about to sing a song, and I just want to read the first verse together. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm for the fiercest drought in the storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled and striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. The only way, church, that we can sing that and mean that from the depths of our soul is because we know that he is before all things and in him all things hold together that he is the head of the body of the church what a hope we have in Christ church would you sing with us